0: I think that, for the moment, inflation is under control. Now, my long-term outlook for inflation is horrible. Maybe you don't even want to know what I believe we're going to get (laughs) in terms of inflation in the long run. All I can say is that there's nobody anywhere on this planet, including all the Federal Reserve's banks put together, that can put the long-term inflation genie back
1: in the bar. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Neil Bawa. Neil is the mad scientist of multifamily. He's one of the most data-driven multifamily investors out there, and today he's here to share with us his thoughts about the state of the economy, the state of inflation, interest rates, how the banking crisis is affecting real estate now, and how it may affect real estate, specifically multifamily, into the future. that will counterbalance with rising or maybe falling interest rates we're going to see what happens the rest of the year and what he thinks about where the real estate market is headed for the rest of 2023 moving into 2024 and i think most importantly at the end of the show we talk about the one thing that we more broadly are not talking about that he thinks is critical the thing that he thinks we should all be talking about that we're not talking about we're going to get into that with neil so much great knowledge if you are a data-driven real estate investor, keeping an eye on what's going on in the broader economy the banking system, this is the interview to listen to. Always a pleasure to have Neil on the show, and today is no exception. You're gonna get a ton out of it. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Load. I'm a real estate investor. To date, I've invested in, partnered on, or otherwise had a hand in over $150 million of commercial real estate. I focus on multifamily and self-storage primarily, If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and we will look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. That's when we're here. That's when we're doing it. That's when we're helping you escape the Wall Street casino. Once again, our guest today is Neil Bawa. We're talking about so much related to the economy interest rates, the banking system, the current banking crisis, and how that will affect commercial real estate for the rest of the year and into the future. Let's go. Neil, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for coming back on the show. It's always a pleasure to have you on. You always have great new fresh ideas, things that we should be looking at. But for our listeners out there who don't know about you, your background, and how you invest in real estate, can you tell us a bit about yourself, what you do, how you invest? Sure. I'm a geeky technologist, a data scientist that basically is trying to use
0: all forms of data, especially, you know, data science and, and AI data to disrupt real estate. Been involved in real estate for over 20 years in some form, sim shape or form. Currently have about a thousand investors and I'm running a $1 billion portfolio in 10 states. But most importantly, I'm trying to find data insights to figure out what's the next thing to hack in real estate.
1: I love that. And, and folks refer to you oftentimes as the mad scientist of multifamily. And I'm excited to, to get into things that you're thinking about today as far as data goes, trends for 2023. Where do you think the best place is to kick it off in terms of what you're seeing as far as inflation, impacts on single family prices, inf- impacts on the multifamily market? I know there's a lot of stuff you want to talk about today. So where do you want to get started here?
0: I think the banking crisis is really the best place to start because I think it affects everything. I think it affects multifamily value add. I think it affects multifamily new construction, affects single family. It affects inflation. It affects the recession timing. So bottom line is that what has happened on, you know, March 8th, when, when we started seeing Silicon Valley bank crash is has extraordinarily large repercussions for the world. So. The Federal Reserve, of course, would like to say it was a one-off case and, you know, SVV failed. They did bad stuff. Signature Bank failed. They did some bad stuff too. Federal, uh, you know, First Republic Bank, which is a really good bank, is in trouble. While well, they did some bad stuff, apparently. The, the point, though, is that this, while it's clear that Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank did things that they should not have done, it's very clear, right? But the law of large numbers says that if you have thousands of banks and you don't have any direct regulatory control over them doing bad things, some of them are going to do bad things. So it shouldn't come as a surprise that certain banks did things that they shouldn't be doing or were not as well managed. So when the Federal Reserve acts surprised, that's weird, right? Because I've been saying for the last nine or 10 months that the Fed's going to break something and it's going to come as a quick surprise. All of a sudden it'll happen. And a lot of people teased me in the December, January timeframe saying, you know, none of this stuff that you've been talking about has really come true. You know, the Fed's just doing what they're supposed to be doing and they're raising rates and they're basically moving forward on their mandate. And I, I a couple of times I reminded people that the Federal Reserve has two mandates and one of them is to keep inflation in check. So price stability. The second mandate, which is their larger mandate, is the stability of the banking system. The Fed is a banking regulator. 90 plus percent of their employees work. To regulate and stabilize banks so their primary mandate is to make sure that the the banking system and money supply is is appropriate and now we've seen a disruption there which i believe is the first of many disruptions so what has really happened is is that march 8th has acted as a catalyst it's acted as a catalyst for everyone to say okay clearly if the banking system itself is vulnerable to these interest rate hikes what else is vulnerable right what are the other things in the economy that could go wrong that are highly vulnerable to this and let's start shining a a you know a a floodlight on that and one of the first things that's come up is commercial real estate now of you know when i say commercial real estate i'm talking about you know everything from self-storage to multifamily to hotels and and retail office and the first piece of data that came out that I found really, really interesting, Taylor, was that multifamily actually has the lowest amount of exposure to mid-sized banks of all real estate asset classes. Right, so mid-sized banks are the ones that are affected the most because they're seeing deposits flee to the big banks. The big banks are say safer because they're too big to fail. So we've seen a large flight of deposits. Well, when a large flight of deposit happens, guess what happens? Those banks shrink. They can let out, lend out less money, and they were the primary lenders to a lot of real estate asset classes. I wanna give you some numbers. In terms of you know, multifamily, less than 20% of multifamily loans come from these mid-sized banks that may be in trouble, about 19%. Office, 42%, right? So retail was in the 30s, so is industrial. So when, when you look at all of these other asset classes, ex- with the exception of multifamily, why multifamily is an exception? Simply because the government has a mandate to provide funding to multifamily, but doesn't have a mandate to provide funding to offices or to retail. And so Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which are two large quasi-government organizations, continue to lend to multifamily and have always had a large chunk of the multifamily market. Therefore, that 40% for office versus 19% for multifamily, that difference really is these quasi-government organizations providing liquidity to multifamily. So on the one side, this is good news for multifamily. On the bad, the other side, though, it's bad news—or I should say, really bad news—for office, retail, and potentially other asset classes. Maybe not industrial as much, simply because it's it's a liquid asset asset class, and there's a lot of demand for it. But I see I see commercial real estate now breaking, and and one could argue that before March 8th, Taylor, commercial real estate was breaking anyway. So this isn't brand new news. We, we all knew that the office apocalypse had started. It was a, a slow apocalypse. I don't know if I can merge those two words together, slowpocalypse, because <laughs> of the fact that, you know, there you go, I did it, I did it, right? That, that wasn't that. Yes. So we, we sort of knew, Taylor, that what was happening the office, you know, thing, but every, everyone knew that, you know, it takes a very long time because most office leases are five years or 10 years. So it takes a very small percentage of them actually re- renew each year, which is why it's such a, you know, slow process. But now, the homepage of Bloomberg today, right? Bloomberg is probably the most influential website that bankers read. If you look at the homepage of Bloomberg, and we're recording this, you know, in, in, in early April, there's two articles this morning about commercial real estate, right? That, that are shining the light on commercial real estate. One of them is a podcast and the other one's a long article. And so all of a sudden, corporate America and Banking America is extremely aware of what is happening in the commercial real estate space. And that's not necessarily a good thing for commercial real estate space, because I think that lending is going to flee. It's going to affect multifamily, too, in a negative sense, but probably the least, once again, because there's other options for multifamily. So we are going to see in the next 12 months, without any doubt, a a significant slowdown in lending to various asset classes. So while we expect interest rates to decline as the Fed ends its its you know rise hiking process, then plateaus, then eventually starts to cut rates maybe at the end of the year, you should see lower interest rates, but you should also see less number of options. So you you know, people basically jumping out of the marketplace. So this relief that we were we were expecting to come in the second half of the year from the, you know, the reduction in 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 potentially potential reduction in interest rates. Well, there's a downside now in that we, we could just simply have less lenders in the marketplace and that always creates, you know, less competition. We could also see banks starting to react in ways that we don't want them to react and we can talk about what that really means, you know, coming in the space. So I, I, I expect to see continued challenges in the multifamily space. I expect to see very almost unsolvable challenges in the office space and then potentially also in the retail space, almost at an unsolvable level, high levels of liquidation. Today is, you know, today this is, you know, kind of the first half of April, April 10th when we're recording this. And the, the the interesting thing, Taylor, today is the first day that we have had a liquidation or, you know, on the steps of the courthouse sale of a large multifamily portfolio. So it's, you could think of that as a start date. A portfolio was sold in Texas on the steps of the courthouse yesterday, I think. So that news was reported this morning. Now, there, has been, there have been a couple before this, one in New York, one in California, but those are kind of the super expensive, hundreds of millions of dollars, tall building sort of for portfolios. But now we're talking about the sort of buildings that Taylor buys and I buy, right? Those kinds of buildings this is the first, you know, above $200 million courthouse step sale that we've seen. So it's a, it's a sign of, you know, of things to come. So long answer, but I, I think, March eighth, more than anything else, was a catalyst with everyone reevaluating and and every industry, not just real estate, saying, What's our exposure? Right. If the banks can take a hit, we can take a hit. And so everyone's in the process of of that analysis in the last, you know, twenty I'd say now
1: thirty days. Interesting. So there's a lot there, so much to unpack. And and in a certain sense, so there were there were kind of two aspects. Of the the ways in which this could have an impact on multifamily, in particular, that you mentioned, there's the actual rising of interest rates, which rose very quickly, as you know, you kind of touched on and discussed, and then there's the actual lenders that are out there and whether they're going to pull out, and and those lenders will still basically be be active or available in the market. But which of those do you think is going to be a, a prevailing force, the the interest rates or just the the availability of you know uh, lending capital because if that lending capital dries up then that will offset any potential decrease in interest rates right if there's fewer competitors the rates would go up and you know that'll still be a, a problem for the multifamily space what are your thoughts on the like the prevailing force out of the two of those
0: depends on how good your property is so if your property is in a good space i think you would like those interest rates to decline and i think you'd fancy your chances of Getting financing at a lower cost anyway. So you'd be like, yeah, you know, I, I, I hear what you're saying about banks, but I've got a good property. I'm in a good place. My debt to, you know, sir, my debt service ratios are in a decent place, maybe not great, but decent. You'd fancy your chances. Now, if your property was bleeding large amounts of cash, if your debt to service ratios were, you know, near one, then this is going to be bad for you this is this is going to make things worse for you even with lower interest rates because now there's going to be lenders pulling back and when lenders pull back other lenders are like everyone else is pulling back why should i lower my loan to value ratio from 70 to 65 if i'm at 65 should i go 60 so they're all second guessing themselves because they see the challenges in the marketplace and that basically makes it more difficult for us to get a certain amount of lending so i still believe you know, I, I think that I've said this in a couple of podcasts already. I think Q4 of this year and Q1 of next year are going to be fascinating times for multifamily because there's going to be significant, va- you know, deal volume because properties have to come to market. Right now, I'm talking with a lot of brokers. I'm, I'm very interested in this whole process. I recently at one of the biggest conferences and you were there, Taylor, you, you know, you, you saw this presentation, talked about a boot camp on how to save your property. So there was this presentation that the limited partners were all interested in, but the general partners, they were all sitting there. They were all kind of taking notes. And based on that, I'm seeing feedback from four or five brokers now that we are seeing tremendous numbers of cash calls in the industry now, in April. April seems to be cash call months. Everyone's like, you know what? This isn't going to go away. I need to do cash calls. I need to get more you know, cash in because it's going to take a while before we can fix this. So I think that that process has begun. If we're doing cash calls in April, we're going to be selling properties in September. It takes, you know, three, four months from cash, you know, doing cash calls to where a number of people are like, great, my cash call worked, I'm going to move ahead. And a number of people are like, well, my cash call didn't work and I need to sell my property. So I think that September, October, November, December, Jan, Feb, March, you're going to see significant volumes of properties come to the marketplace. We're going to see discounts and those discounts are going to vary by metro. So I'll I'll give you a couple of metros. So it's very clear to me that Atlanta and Phoenix are where cap rates have adjusted the most with Phoenix having seen a 150 basis point increase. Now, for those of you that, you know, don't do math in your head, 150 basis points essentially is about a 26%, 27% decline in value and we're only seeing Huge. that in one market in the US so that's phoenix and then atlanta seems to be at a little over 100 basis points so that might be more like a 18 19% discount from peak and when i say peak i'm really talking about q4 2021 plus q1 2022 those two quarters were peak depending upon marketplace so we're seeing already today today right now we're seeing discounts of 18 to 26% in those two markets The rest markets seem to be somewhere sort of clustered in a 10 to 18% discount level. And I expect that all of those markets, the discounts level will increase from there. So Phoenix, if they're at 26, they might go up to 31. So another 5%. Atlanta might go up 5%. And the rest of the market, which is in that 10 to 18% range, is going to go up another 5%. So, you know, I, I think we're going to see... And, and I also think that a couple more markets are going to join Phoenix because Phoenix was the bubbliest market in terms of cap rates. Prices there were absolutely insane in two years ago and people were buying, you know, properties at three cap. Thankfully, I didn't partake, but I felt tempted to just just for the record. But <laughs> so, I mean, it was a different mindset. Like we were all drinking the Kool-Aid and, and so I, I felt tempted to, to participate. Luckily, it pulled back. But So, so I, I, think, I think there's significant distress coming in markets like Phoenix and some parts of Atlanta. There's going to be distress in California for sure because properties there are just wildly out of whack with reality. So I think that there's an adjustment. Would I call it contagion? Would I call it, you know, what happened in 2009? No, I, there's just no evidence that would happen, but it could be. This situation is fast developing. I can't predict the future, but all I can tell you is that there's there's discounts already available in the 20% range and it's getting better for buyers. The big challenge is as you're going in, you're going to be paying very high interest rates, so where's the cash flow? It's all about convincing the investors that this is a great time to buy. I think savvy investors instinctively know oh this could, this has to be a great time to buy if net operating income hasn't changed but the price is down 20%. And and we have a recession coming, which usually tends to be, you know, to moderate interest rates, it tends to lower them. So if somebody's a savvy investor that's been through two or three recessions, they're thinking this is a great time to invest. 90% of investors, though, they're just freaked out.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of, so there's there's quite a lot there. I want to make sure I ask you, since you mentioned earlier what the Fed's targets are, you know, one of those big targets being inflation and the knob that they turn there being the interest rate theory, being increased interest rates, inflation goes down. But- my opinion is that economists are really bad at modeling complex systems with big time lags in them. They're just not very good at that. I wonder, in your opinion, has the Fed gotten a handle on inflation one? And then kind of part two of that question is, can they? Because there are so many supply chain related issues out there, geopolitics, so on and so forth. Peter Zihan talks a lot about that. But in your opinion, is inflation under control or on its way to being under control? Are we going to be in a high inflationary environment with falling interest rates because we're in a recession, which sounds like the worst of all possible worlds.
0: No, I I think it's, there's no doubt in my mind that at at this point, inflation is under control. And the biggest, biggest reason I believe that, and by the way, I would have answered this question completely differently 45 days ago. So (laughs) I I don't believe that had much to do with the banking crisis because, you know, the banking crisis is now 32 days old. How much could it have affected things in 32 days, right? Because we don't, we don't actually measure stuff for the current month. We measure stuff for the previous month and the month before. It's not going to impact anything. So whatever impact the banking crisis has, right, it doesn't affect my answer because that's in the future. What I've seen so far, because your question is really about the past, is has the Fed gotten a handle on inflation? The answer is there was clearly data coming in in March and April that showed significant movement in the labor market, which has been the biggest component of inflation in the last four months. Before that, manufacturing was a big component, supply chains were a big component, you know, food was a big component. And we we were already seeing all of those things start to moderate, but it was labor that was just refusing to moderate labor. That was just the first two months of the year that the number of jobs that the economy produced is so shockingly high that it's impossible for there to be any moderation of labor when the economy is producing 400,000 jobs a month. And at, at significant by the way, at significant wage inflation, right? So it's not just producing jobs; it's producing jobs at significant wage inflation. March definitely, we see a moderation, we see a weakening, we see major industries pulling back. Construction's pulled back extremely, radically in in in, in March. So we're we're beginning to see very significant layoffs. Tech is doing a second round of layoffs. I usually don't worry about the first round of layoffs with tech because they always like to lay off people because they they always are the first to hire, so they're first to fire. But when they start to do their second and third rounds of layoffs, it's something to pay attention to because then they're really starting to cut activities that would affect their profit and their, their I- income. The first stuff at the top is these moonshot projects that tech works on that really have no income. And so you know when they get rid of those people, it, it doesn't affect their, their revenue. So we're seeing those, those second rounds. We're seeing those third rounds. Now we're beginning to see other economies of the other portions of the economy declare that they're going to be doing layoffs. So since the banking crisis it's clear that most CEOs at this point, they've changed their attitude from maybe a recession to I'm going to manage for a recession. And when CEOs say I'm going to manage for a recession, they reduce headcount. So I think that it's labor, it's labor, it's labor. And we're seeing significant movement there. So I think that for the moment, inflation is under control. Now, my long term, and when I say long term, I'm I'm saying 20, 25, 26, my long-term outlook for inflation is is horrible. You, you know, maybe don't even want to know what I believe, you know, we're going to get <laughs> in terms of inflation in the long run. All I can say is that there's nobody anywhere on this planet, including all the Federal Reserves banks put together, that can put the long-term inflation genie back in the bar. But in the short term, you can do plenty. And I think there the Fed is is achieving a certain amount of success. The Fed is not doing what it wants to do, which is I want to get inflation down to 2% by the end of this year. Well, they're, they're not, that's not going to happen because they realize they can break some systemic stuff and then then they have to deal with something far worse than inflation. But I think that they're now mentally thinking if I can get inflation down to close close to 3% by the end of next year, I'll be okay with that. So they're they're moderating the time during which they need to get inflation down. Inflation out of 2% is extraordinarily unlikely. So I think that we're going to see a reset of inflation numbers worldwide. In my mind, three is the new two. So we, we <laughs> central banks used to focus on 2% inflation. Now I think they're going to try to get down to 3%. And that's because there's a million things in the world economy that are inflation related that are breaking.
1: Absolutely. Great. So Last time around with the, the Great Recession and everything, a lot of that was, you could say, this might be simplifying it, but as far as real estate goes, it was really led or driven by the single family market and, and retail buyers and kind of more speculative single family buyers really not understanding their debt, all that kind of a thing. What have you seen with the single family market? I mean, we all see headlines, but what are you seeing when you look at the data? I am amazed at the single-family market.
0: I, it has performed in an outstanding fashion, absolutely outstanding. The best-case scenario is currently in effect. So you think about single-family, you realize that when interest rates go from 3% to 6%, I mean, it you know, all, can almost double your mortgage payment, right? So, so that impact given, and, and you combine that with the fact that people have had 3%, 4%, 5% income increases. Well, how do you deal with sixty percent increases in your mortgage payment when your income's up five percent? So I was nervous and so I you know, I was part of the gang predicting a ten percent decline in a single family last February or last last March. So by now we should have gotten to a 10% decline. So I was in that gang of people. Not there was there were a couple of people that were in the twenty percent gang and I was like, no, <laughs> I, I don't think so. But I you know, I was in the 10% gang. Well, I was wrong. So were most of the people in the 10% gang you know, gang we've only seen a 5% decline in single family prices across the United States. And if you eliminate some extraordinarily frothy markets, if I just take Austin, Phoenix, Boise and certain parts of California out, we're at 2%, right? So the market as a as whole has, has reacted extraordinarily. And as we all sit down to figure out, wow, how, how, does, this, how does this happen when multifamily is at you know, 18% decline and, and still going south quickly, and single families, you know, at 2 to 5%, depending upon who you ask, with a few markets at 10%. So Austin's at, you know, has dropped 10%. But keep in mind, it was up 72%. So a 10% drop, <laughs> you know, people in Austin are still making yeah. enormous amounts of money. And, and the answer to that question has been fixed debt. There's, there's no other answer that we can think of. The answer is there's debts fixed. People have had, you know, these homes, homes at 3%, refinance at 3%, 3.5%. And they're saying, I'm not selling anything. So... You know, volumes are down between 50 and 70 percent So the most affected markets are down 70 percent. Other markets are down, you know, maybe 40 percent. The average is about 50 percent. So what what's happened is people are simply saying, I can sit on this. So what's preventing multifamily from doing that? Well, because a lot of it is bridge debt. A lot of it is floating debt. So with with multifam with single family, we simply haven't seen an increase in debt ratios because. Almost everything that people owned was fixed at like 98%, 99%. There wasn't really any five-year, 10-year floating sort of stuff. And if, even if it's, some of it is there, well, it's really five years from last year. So, you know, it'll, it'll reset in four years. So we are seeing almost zero distress in the single family market space across the board. Even in markets such as Phoenix and Austin that have dropped 10%, there's no sign of distress. There's no sign of people with cash offers getting 20% off. They're getting a few points. It's good for them, but they're not seeing any significant distress of the sort that we saw in 2009. So the single family market has done absolutely phenomenally well. Now, having said that, I expect it to continue to decline, but it is declining in an extremely organized, non-panicky fashion, which is really good for the country.
1: That's great. There's a lot there. And I had wondered what would happen to the results when you kind of pulled out Some of those more edge cases, the frothy markets, maybe the higher end, much more expensive markets. Anecdotally, my area here in Richmond, Virginia, we've not seen really much of any change as far as things go because we're not an expensive, frothy market. People get their houses and tend to stay in them. And, you know, we're all employed here and everything like that. So great. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com, scroll down to the Stessa logo, and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Neil, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show, but you've been on the show before twice already. This is your third time back. I've got one new one for you that I think is very big. I think you're exactly the right guy to ask this question. What is one thing that we are not talking about that we absolutely should be? Long-term inflation. I think that now that now
0: that everyone concerned has stopped drinking the forever low inflation Kool-Aid that we were all on, we've now come to a more rational understanding of inflation and how it can occur and how it can occur and, and also how it can uh, refuse to die down despite significant attempts. We, we really have to understand how does long-term inflation affect the prices of every asset class because I, I think that we'll get inflation down to 3%, sure, but then it's going to rear its ugly head up again and again and again. And a lot of that has to do with energy and a lot of that has to do with food. The world is becoming extraordinarily energy insecure and food insecure And while it goes up and down, these things, there's no real equilibrium there that, you know, it's it's a very jagged sort of situation. I expect inflation to break out again and again over the next five years. And I think we have to understand what that means for cap rates, what that means for multifamily prices.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today, coming back on the show. It's been great to learn from you again today. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch, if they want to track you down, learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they find you? We publish about a dozen
0: webinars on a website called multifamilyu.com. That's multifamily followed by the letter u.com. About 25,000 people will take those webinars. And we're actually at one where we are going to talk about the long-term effects of inflation and also the deglobalization trend, which is now heavily underway. And so we'll we'll have two separate webinars on those two trends that I, I believe are very strongly going to affect interest rate prices, all of that information and a dozen of the webinars are at multifamily followed by the letter u.com.
1: Great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. It gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling every single time I see your reviews. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.